Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, Julie. It is lovely February the 11th, 2021. Mm -hmm. We have a really fun show for everyone today. It is a continuation of what we started yesterday. It was a great topic based on the I don't know, 11 or 12 texts I got afterwards. I love the texts that we get where the people are just like nothing really to say other than I really appreciate you and Julie. You guys have become part of my regular day and da 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 I really love that because mm -hmm. doing this podcast is sort of a bedrock of our day. It is. You know, I, I get a little twitchy yeah. if I haven't done the podcast. <laughs> you do. Right? I do. It's true. It's like doing the podcast is like breathing and, you know, brushing my teeth. If I haven't done it, I it just does not feel like a day that I was even remotely engaged. So yes, absolutely. Thank you for all your praise and your appreciation. And we feel the same way about all of you guys. And thank you for continuing to, continuing to making uh, this the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in the nation. It is our goal to take this podcast to the world. A lofty goal, I know, because not everyone in the world who sells real estate also speaks English. But for those of you who do, we're coming for you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the way too. We're, How many countries are we in now? You know, I haven't looked in like probably two it's weeks. Like, it's over 50 though. I last uh, well, last time I looked, it was over 60. It was like there 62. But that's including the countries where we have like one person listen. Hey, it's a start. Yeah, well, it could also be an aberration, aberration <laughs> in the machine, you know. Right. So I only, generally okay. speaking, I'm only counting the ones where there might be like 50 lessons because I have to assume that those are real lessons. Yeah, fair But enough. it is pretty incredible to see. Now, some of them, you, you bring that up, and I've, you know, has spent some time researching actually how to go about uh, expanding internationally as far as mm -hmm. podcasts go. And there is no way, there's no shortcut. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is just provide content that people are going to want to listen to. And sure enough, uh, you know, essentially people will find you because a lot of, uh, you know, the ways that podcasts become and the way our podcast became so widely listened to is from other agents referring to other agents and, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Well, that's the same rule that works when you're spreading internationally. So that's kind of awesome. Sure. And, um, you know, it's really fascinating too, as, as we entered into some of these markets, like as I saw, we started picking up more lessons and, you know, pick your country. Um, we went in, you know, you and I researched the country just to find out what the difference is and what the similarities were mm -hmm. and how real estate was done. And for the most part, it's done exactly the same. There are no real differences. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that is profoundly different that I think agents in the United States and Canada will be most interested in knowing is there's really no other countries other than the United States and Canada where there is a buyer agent co-op. Yeah, we're weird like that. And I think it's really taken for granted here. Yeah. Starting to be less so as things, you know, heat up. Right. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. And there's places where it's most of the time done by auction, like in Australia. Well, you know, it's very unusual. Australia. Well, so basically, yeah, I mean, Australia is a very interesting process. You list a house and it's not done that way every, every time in Australia. But the gist of it is they put it on auction, just kind of like if you would imagine a you know, anything else, eBay is the most obvious example, but there's plenty of assets and that are sold on, on primarily at auction, private art and, you know, just everything. For the most part, auctions are the oldest form of, um, you know, selling stuff because it's more efficient because essentially you have the market set the price. Uh, but in mo or the rest of the world, 
the interesting part of how real estate's done it's, it's essentially like these brokerages that have their own little and as i say this listeners just think about how this is in the in the united states listeners think how this is actually seemingly how our markets might actually be i don't know evolving to or devolving to you choose your word but where if you're looking for real estate and say for example england you're not going to go to a centralized mls there is no centralized realtor.com or you know zillow or anything like that you go to the individual brokerages and you see what their listings are and then basically you have to go meet with one of their estate agents and those estate agents will show you specifically their listings and they don't show you the listings of the competing brokerages that's the competing brokerages job to sell their own listings so there is no real uh, you know, sharing. There is no implied co-op. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess I think mostly it's a bad thing from this, for the sake of the uh, industry. It certainly makes better sense to have more people interested in selling more houses than, say, for example, just that particular brokerage. But it also makes it a hell of a lot more competitive. And you have to wonder why it is that a market like that, or most of the markets in mainland Europe, why they haven't actually copied the MLS system that we have in the United States. I think the real reason is, is because they didn't want to share data. They didn't want to share their listing opportunities. They didn't want to run amok of the problems that, you know, many agents feel we've run into because of the fact that we've done so much IDEX data sharing and all the rest of it. It gets confusing. And here's the interesting real bottom line. And some of you will raise eyebrows as I say this. So Google this yourself if you don't believe me. But there's never been any research that's ever been, you know, done where that validates the concept that more exposure, i.e. more websites causes the house to sell for a higher price in a shorter period of time. So more exposure does not equal a greater benefit for the seller. So if you really kind of cut through the malaise of, well, why is it you want to put your listings on a bunch of different websites? It's really to placate the seller and also to maybe generate more future listing opportunity for the listing agent. At the end of the day, the aggregators of the data, the portals, why did they do it? Well, I know why. You should know why too. So they can basically capture consumer eyeballs and sell those leads back to agents. That's the essence of what essentially um, that is what a portal really in essence is. Now, the one exception, which I'm really excited about, is what eXp Realty is doing. eXp Realty, they're not talking about this. They're not bragging about it. And they're normal, just keeping their heads down, getting the work done type fashion. They're going to come out with their own national search portal that's going to essentially make it so that it's inclusive. In other words, agents who are in uh, uh, eXp Realty won't have to worry about their listing data, uh, essentially, or their listing leads being sold to other agents unless they choose for it to be. And I suspect, and I have been told this, there's going to be a revenue sharing component to it. So if you have a, imagine this listeners. So you go out and take a listing and that listing all of a sudden shows up on Zillow. Zillow now is basically making money with your listing, selling leads from your listing to other agents, right? Isn't that the essence of how it's worked for years? Well, how about a website that pops up or a portal that pops up so that does the same thing, but opposed to just keeping all the money for itself, you know, the portal, what if it revenue shares with you, the listing agent? Isn't that interesting? Creating thus another uh, income component for your listing agents and making it so you make money off if you choose to participate in uh, that sort of uh, sharing uh, opportunity, it does create more income and revenue opportunities for you. So I love some of the innovative ideas that I'm hearing rumored that eXp is going to be creating. And by the way, yes, Julie and I are with eXp Realty. Yes, we'd love to talk with you about joining uh, eXp Realty with us as part of our group. And all you have got to do is text me directly at S what is my phone number? 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. Text me if you want to talk about eXp Realty directly. 512-758-0206. 
So, Julie, what are we talking about on the show today? Yes, well, we're continuing with the survival plan. Yesterday, we talked about the, the uh, rules that go with the plan, and we started out with just a couple of basic points. And I think it's worth noting that the things that are in the survival plan are also, curiously, the same things that work for everybody all the time. It's just that when agents get busy or they, you know, they're saving deals or some drama happens, they get away from the things that they know make the money. You know, they just get distracted by pretty shiny objects, buying leads and all other distractions. And sometimes you just get off track. So I think the survival plan is also a, for some, for some agents, a hard reset. Even if you just do the survival plan for 90 days, I think it works for everyone. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. One of the things I love best about the survival <laughs> plan is none of the points involves essentially getting out a credit card number. I know, and I, and we made that on purpose. Right. So none of the plan, none of the points in the survival plan require you guys buying anything. Not even coaching, by the way. So the survival plan's point is for you to get into action making money so you can essentially cross whatever rickety financial bridge you happen to find yourself on and get to more stable ground. Um, and so it's really important that you remember most of the you – know, it's some, I was just thinking as you were reading that last point or as you were talking, Julie. Mm -hmm. I remember when you and I were selling real estate, how much disdain we had when we had to pay a referral fee to like a real company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How it just pissed us off. And, yeah. Uh, you know, to another agent, no problem. An agent refers us a listing, happy to pay it. Mm -hmm. But these reload companies would weasel their way in on our deals sometimes. Yeah. You know, our past client got reloaded with XYZ company and XYZ company's HR department, you know, essentially twisted the arm of our seller to, you know, encourage us to pay a referral fee. Garbage like that. Sure. It was it was slimy, basically. Yeah. Well, nowadays, paying referral fees has become so normalized. When Definitely. I talked when I talk to agents and you as well, mm -hmm. and you you know go down the list of the closings they've had and ask the question, well, which of those did you have to pay a referral fee on? It's not unusual. It's seventy five to eighty five percent of the time they basically are getting mm -hmm. their business from somebody who is uh, you know sold in the lead. Right. And it could even be something like a Dave Ramsey lead, or it could just sure. be something from all these different sources. But guys, you do not have to buy business. You do not have to pay. I know, again, agent to agent referrals are a special. But other than that, you really can break free of that paradigm because if you actually put pen to paper, and yes, you had a sale from a referral that came from XYZ referral company. But if you look at the money you made from that, you would have been way better off being a Walmart greeter in some cases. And I'm not even kidding about that. I've done the math for some of you guys about how much you actually make per transaction after you pay all your splits, after you pay the referral fee, and not even really accounting for the amount of time you actually had you know, involved in it. If we actually did that math, then it's, you know, it's really depressing. You're, some of you guys don't realize the expense of that paid lead generation and what it's doing to a really, not just a road, but absolutely burn to the ground any net profit that you might have. So the takeaway from that is, as you, Julie you know, continues back where she left off yesterday, remember, you can self-generate. You can be a proactive lead generator. And as your business evolves, as you have firm financial spokes on your lead generation wheel, if you choose to buy business through branding, through marketing, through referral deals, through anything like that, then add those as your you know, cursory spokes. Don't do those as your primary spokes. Because you're never going to learn how to be a proactive lead generator, which means you're always going to be dependent on somebody else, you know, throwing a lead your way. Yeah, I mean, you're voluntarily deciding to have less profit by doing that. Well, not just that, but you're also voluntarily deciding not to ever really have a business. You're yeah. just essentially you're hoping dependent. and praying you're dependent. <laughs> yeah. So do the heavy lifting first in your business, guys, and you'll be thankful forever. Yes. Okay. So yesterday we did point number one and point number two in the plan that was mainly about 
uh, talking to your actual past client center of influence. If you don't have any past clients, you still have friends and family and neighbors and relatives, okay? So we talked about when you, let's say you have just 100 people, and really if you think about it, every single person listening can create a list of 100 people who already know you. It's probably sitting right in the contacts of your smartphone, okay? So when let's say it's only 100, and some of you have a lot more than that, but just to keep the math simple, all you have to do is speak with five of them. Remember, a contact is a conversation with a decision-making adult about real estate, five of them per day, only on work days, and you'll have spoken with all 100 of them every month. That alone, and that's why we lead with that in the survival plan, because it doesn't cost you anything. The contacts are already in your phone. All it takes is your time. And you get, most people get an immediate result from that. But again, one of the rules was don't pick and choose. We want you to do all of this. So point number three, and and people will scoff at this sometimes because this is about open houses, right? But when you systematize, use scripts and know how to promote your open houses, I know COVID, you know, allowing, um, but we're moving back towards being able to do more of this. It can be a legitimate spoke, especially for agents that don't have any budget to do anything well, else. It, not right. just in some yeah. markets, it's an incredible spoke. Oh, killer we, spoke. We've had co- uh, clients in like San Francisco and whatnot that have had oh, yeah. know, lines of people. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy. I mean, I let's see, I have a client in San Francisco, and the last time uh, she had an open, it was more than 200 people came through. Now, they have low inventory, yes, but most of you do. And, you know, we were joking that the house needs rehabbed after an open house because 200 <laughs> people coming through 1,500 square feet is a lot of tramping, right? 1,500 square feet? That was a mansion in San Francisco. <laughs> no, right? But, but really, unless you're 100% farm and ranch or something like that, open houses really can be a killer spoke. Will, we have the ultimate open house system that's part mm-hmm. of the Premier Coaching Program, too, we which do. is a checklist of every single thing they should be doing to really get the most of it at an open house. And by the way, guys, an open house, really what it is, and here's a little mind bender for some of you, it's not just a way to meet buyers. Actually, meeting buyers isn't really the motivation of an open house. It's to meet all the neighbors who might have houses to sell. Yes. That's really the whole point of having an open house is to meet the neighbors. Yeah, a little appreciated fact about opens, you know, because agents, I think a lot of them don't understand the beauty of an open when it's done right. To your point, probably the house is going to sell. That's, you know, and we do want to make the seller happy. That's partially done for the, the listing seller. But ultimately, from an agent's standpoint, yes, it's to meet all of the neighbors that are coming through. We teach them to prospect the neighborhood before they have the open. And by that, neighborhood we Neighborhood open houses. Right, exactly. So specifically, what you want to do, just as a kind of couple points from the, the uh, you know, the guide, is you want to invite all of them. Go knock on their doors. Give them a little flyer. It doesn't matter what. And there's a neighbors only open house that's happening maybe the same day as the open house or a different day, ideally the same day. You're going to get, you know, non-neighbors walking in too, mm-hmm. but who cares? And then invite the neighbors and have some sort of, you know, maybe have like drinks and whatnot. Make it so it's going to be conducive for them to hang out for a little while and then meet all of them. And you're not just there to meet and greet. You want to absolutely positively engage in conversation with them. So maybe the quick and easiest thing for you to do is you could do a raffle. You could do a survey. You could do a survey with the ex- in exchange for a Starbucks gift card. You could offer an in-depth, you know, CMA. You could do all kinds of different things. 
Don't just sit there and be a bump in the log and just assume just, you know, because you're holding an open house that magically and mysteriously they're going to want to do business with you just because you've got the listing next door. You got to remember if you don't, if you aren't a proactive lead generator and having proactive conversations with these people going to this open house, you're telling them that you don't want to do business with them. You're telling them that you, I mean, guys, I can go down the litany of things that they're thinking about you, but you tell me one positive uh, reaction that anyone has towards an agent that just sits on their butts and doesn't really do anything when you walk into an open house. There is, there is no upside to that. You look no. disinterested. You didn't try to sell the house. You didn't try to engage them. You got to do it right. You got to do it right. You've got to really work it. You know, if you've got to fake it because you're a super introvert, well, fake it. Just figure it out. Follow the guide and you'll realize that soon, um, frankly, selling real estate, especially in a market like this, is not difficult. It does not require some 47-step process and a big, huge, complicated team and 13-phase funnels and a fancy brand. <laughs> double you know, opt-in pages. Double, triple opt-in pages with, you know, who knows what, right? And skywriting. It doesn't require any of that. It just requires you getting in front of as many people as you can and having nice conversations with people. Remember the statistic. Julie, you'll remember this. You're the mm-hmm. numbers girl. Mm-hmm. What percent of people, sellers, list with the first agent they meet? It's like 86%. Yeah. So there you go. If you're the first agent they meet and they met you in an open house and you were engaging, all right, I'm going to tell a true- And you followed up. I'm going to tell a true painful story. Okay. And this is painful and I'm not even kidding you. Like I'm getting hives just telling you this. And this happened, I don't even know how long ago. It was 15 years ago, maybe longer. So Julie and I sold real estate in this really lovely area and uh, we'd sold uh, four houses in our immediate neighborhood. Like we drove past these houses every day. And we sold all, these were all of our listings and we sold them all to our buyers. So we double ended every single one of them. Three of them we sold to uh, guys that were working for the same exact company. Um, It was actually Rolls-Royce Jet Engine. Mm -hmm. And all three of these guys said, we're going to be selling our house in the spring. um, And we want to uh, have you list them, obviously, in the spring. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in four or six months. Remember, this is Ohio. So (laughs) the winter was real. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, you know, there was a distinct change of seasons where we used to live. So um, great. And now we did send them Christmas cards. We dropped off a little bottle of wine. We did the whole, you know, normal thing we do around centers, you know, around the holidays for centers of influence past clients. Well, little did I know that there was this agent who just had moved in with her husband. Just I didn't even know she had a real estate license in our neighborhood. And she actually went and had a little holiday party. Of course, she didn't invite us. And at the holiday party, she just start, struck up conversations with all these folks. And she ends up taking like three of those listings. And I mean, here it is. We have this past client relationship with them. We are friends with them and everything. And then I ended up asking him like, and trust me, that never happened again. And that was devastating for us, at least emotionally. And I remember calling them all and asking, well, WTF, you know, this is even before people said WTF. They actually <laughs> said, the, they actually they didn't abbreviate it, right? There was no acronym. It was just, you know, WTF. <laughs> I'm not allowed to swear, Zoe, you'll charge me a dollar for every bad word right. I say. Um, and they said, Tim, well, you know, we, we're planning on listing a house with you, but you and Julie didn't call us. You guys didn't really, and you know, show interest after we'd had conversations. And yes, we enjoyed the bottle of wine. Uh, but this agent, you know, we met her at this and we, she followed up with that and she did this other thing. And I thought to myself, what? An, well, after I got done licking my wounds, then I thought to myself, what a great lesson. I mean, here was some essentially new no-name agent who was mm-hmm. able to essentially get this business away from Julie and I. And we were one of the most dominant agents in this particular marketplace simply because she did something that we already, we should have known what we should have been doing because it's the very same thing we did our first year in the business when we sold over 100 houses. She just merely, she asked for the business 
business. She put herself in front of a, a bunch of strangers, in essence, and asked for the business, which we had gotten away from doing because guess what? We'd probably gotten a little lazy and arrogant. That's probably, yeah. yeah, and assumptive. And and so the message subconsciously that we were sending to that those sellers was we were lazy and arrogant, too busy, didn't care, take them for granted, took their business for granted. And they showed us that was what the impression that we were giving them by not listing the houses with us. And that was hundred, $150,000 in real estate yeah, commissions. Those were, I remember it too. Those were nice listings. Yeah, they were. Yeah. So, you know, cautionary <laughs> tale, how many times on how many podcasts do we practically beg you guys to be better at communicating with your database, your past clients, your center of influence? And to this previous point, open house lead follow-up. You know, if you call them two weeks after just because you finally figure maybe you need to communicate and you're out of leads, they may have even already bought something or sold something. If Because remember, listing leads from open houses, you've got to follow up the same evening. So if you've had open houses in the past, you've tried them and they haven't worked and you've declared them, you know, open houses don't work. It's not the open house. It's because you're doing it wrong. Well, furthermore, I'll go even drill down. When I'm always worried that when you hear us say follow up, you guys are immediately going to digital passive. And that mm -hmm. is not what right. we're saying. Nope. We are saying call them. Not, a text is, I mean, it's effective, but it's not the same as an actual call. So absolutely call them. Do not do a text. Do not do a Facebook Messenger. <laughs> Sorry, not good. Okay, don't do anything like <laughs> anyway. that. All right, so keep it together. Number four, we're not laughing at you guys. We just have weird things happen in the office sometimes. Okay, number four, follow up on one hundred percent of your existing leads. New, old, questionable, doesn't matter what the source was, call all of them. If they're not already working with somebody else, call and ask for an appointment. Actually, ask for the business. Never, ever end the day from this point forward without following up on 100% of your leads. That includes internet leads, direct referrals, sign calls, ad calls, emails, you know, past clients coming. But it doesn't matter the source of the lead. It also doesn't matter how they communicated with you. Call them. Now, let's give them a cautionary tale about yes. having too many leads. Yes. If you have too many leads, and this is, and I'll just take this from the obvious source, like if you're writing leads down, to, your goal is not to collect leads that is actually a sign of a poor agent. An agent with too yeah. many leads is an agent who does not know how to pre-qualify and set an appointment. Remember, your goal is do not have maybe, if you're a top producer, um, we one of the first questions we always ask is, you know, how many leads do you, how many listing leads do you actually have right now? And if you have more than, as a top producer, if you have more than maybe 12, you're doing something wrong. You're not closing for the appointment or you're going on appointments and you're not closing for the listing. They're just becoming leads. A lead is not worth anything. A signed contract is. You cannot derive a sense of security from having a bunch of leads, which leads me, there you go, pun, pun intended, mm -hmm. which leads me to the secondary issue with those of you guys who have been raised on the belief that a bunch of leads will equal a bunch of money. It doesn't work that way. So forming big CRMs and drip campaigns, you think that eventually those people will raise their hands and do business with you? Statistically, do your own homework on this. The, that is one of the least effective, if essentially ineffective ways of generating business is long-term lead follow-up. That's a real eye-opener for a lot of you, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Well, here, here's some more interesting facts. I mean, was it two or three percent of if you generate you know a thousand leads from internet lead generation, two or three percent of those people will do a transaction with somebody and on average of about a year and a half. So those are another great source of uh, essentially a big bunch of wasted time and energy and money. 
So why would you even waste time, money, and energy doing long-term lead follow-up? At the end of the day, it's a false sense of security. You fool yourself into believing those people will become business. Now, some of them will, but get the point I'm trying to make here. If you have a bunch of long-term lead follow-up leads in your drip campaign, if you have a big bunch of leads that you're following up on and you're you know, Facebooking them and you're tweeting them and you're grasshoppering them and you're whatever else you're doing to them and you're not calling them, you are actually leaving the door open for somebody else to get that lead who's going to be more proactive and make that phone call, have that direct contact. So please do not think that the game is won through having a bunch of leads. When you have a bunch of leads, that's a surefire sign that you're losing the game, not winning. Yeah, so fewer but better qualified leads and you going through them faster is an indication that you have it together on your lead follow-up. And you know, a lot of times agents will want to go try something or implement a new spoke or go buy some kind of easy button thing and you know, because they need more leads, right? And as coaches, we know most of the time the issue is not need more leads, it's do a better job on your lead follow-up. And that's well, it's lead follow-up, but also pre-qualifying. Yes. How many of you guys really so many of you have spent so much of your life energy chasing buyer leads? You know what? We haven't told them this in a long time, and I always have to remind myself, and I What's know that? we do this time of year, have lots of new listeners. So I'm gonna give you I'm gonna save you guys a huge learning curve that by the way, I'm sure all of you already know. There's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy. There's no such thing as a truly motivated buyer. Not in the sense that there is as a truly motivated seller. There's sellers that have to sell. Let's Julie, let's just go through. Sure. And then we need to go right, right. the next thing. Sellers that have to sell. Mm-hmm. That would be a someone who maybe had a financial issue, a relocation issue. They, you know, financial issue, you know, has a lot of uh, cousins, like can't afford the payment. Maybe they're, um, they're. Uh, well, maybe they, they don't qualify to extend a forbearance. There you go. To That's keep it was... timely, right? Right. Okay. So a divorce decree. Mm-hmm. You yeah. will, you're going to sell the house and split the proceeds. They inherited the property. They're out of state. They're, it, look, Probate. we could, Julie and I could go back and forth with different sources of sellers that actually absolutely have to sell the house. Like it, not selling the house will cause a huge discomfort, if not a financial problem. There is That is never going to happen on this, uh, the buyer side of a transaction, especially since it appears. Now, some of you guys would say, what about a 1031? Well, at 1031, the seller can always pay the taxes, but guess what? It looks like 1031s are going away anyway. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to that, but that aside. So the moral of the story is there's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy. They can always stay put. They can always keep renting. They don't ever have to buy. There are lots of examples of sellers that have to sell, which gets back to the fundamental reason why if you want to be successful in real estate long term, focus on the actual people that actually have to do a transaction, not the ones that will change their minds as soon as basically the the you know the breeze changes direction or interest mm-hmm. rates creep up you know in 16th of a point or something happens that makes them in a bad mood or just whatever all these different emotional things that can cause a buyer to change their um, essentially motivation those things don't happen with truly motivated sellers and that is the reason ultimately we want you focusing all your best energies every single day on chasing sellers and by the way if you guys have not completed your real estate treasure map yet if you've not completed your 2021 fill-in-the-blank business plan, simply text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Text 2021 to 855-685-1045, and we'll text you back the real estate treasure map. But we're also going to text you back Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. Think and Grow Rich, the public domain version of Napoleon Hill's great book. And we added a lot of real estate-specific content. You get that, that book, 12-month lead generation guide, and a whole bunch of other stuff. If you just simply text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Do that now. We text you back a link. Click the link. Download the books. You can obviously download these books from your desktop as well. 
Yeah, so I think that we're going to stop there today and have a continuation tomorrow because this gives them a lot of things to work on. Homework would be to be honest and assess your situation on the previous points that we've gone over. How are you handling your past client list, your database? Are you actually communicating for real? Or are you going to have to learn the hard way like we did, the story that Tim <laughs> told you, and lose you know, a lot of potential commission? And remember, those, th- those three deals, because I remember that too, You know, they actually said to us, we'll be ready in the spring. And what was our mistake? We assumed that we had that business in the bag. How much of that are you doing right now? Can you be absolutely certain? You know, and that that was a fairly certain deal that we lost. You it was probably, four. It was four. And I we lost we, three. Yeah, no bueno. Yeah. So be, be honest about how you're handling that database. And don't get stuck in CRMs or anything like that. Just make the calls. Okay. So then we talked about open houses. How have they gone for you in the past? What is allowable in your market right now? And do you know how to actually systematically run an open house so that you get results? For example, Tammy Irby, Northern Virginia, she does neighborhood open houses in a very organized, systematic way. She does it exactly the same time. I'm sorry, the act the same way every single time. It is That's, a checklist. It's a system. It's a system. And then she's she, using yes. our system. That's right. And she has a, a very predictable outcome, three to four absolutely pre-qualified, motivated leads, usually half and half buyers and sellers. And no referral. Yeah, no referral. (laughs) No referral fees. In fact, this is one of the reasons she does them is because we call those Tammy deals because they're 100% Tammy. She doesn't owe anything to anybody except herself. (laughs) And so it's a very profitable spoke as well. So how are you handling that? Have you been, oh, I don't do opens because I did two of them and they didn't work? Or are you taking this seriously? Because it doesn't take much expenditure here, just your time, really. Okay, so then we talked about, uh, what was our last, it was open houses. So yes, and then furiously fast lead follow-up. Some of you guys have figured out how to generate, but you haven't figured out what to do with it yet. Are you using actual scripts to follow up? Do you end every day with no new leads to follow up on because you're that frosty on it? Maybe that means you only have four or five super, you know, good deals coming, but wouldn't you rather have that than have, you know, 2,000 people in your drip system and waiting, praying to the real estate gods that you'll get the 1% when those people aren't even just your leads? Generating leads is easy. The real work of real estate is calling them, calling them, not doing anything else other than picking up the phone, calling them, and then pre-qualifying them. And we have lots and lots of scripts, obviously, for pre-qualifying. The goal of all of our scripts is to root out all the potential seller leads. Our scripts are conversation outlines, but we do want all of you to learn them in the correct order. So use the script exactly as we've written it. And then after you've mastered the script, then the next thing for you to do is, you know, after you've internalized it, basically, memorized, internalized, and then you can personalize. But do not make the mistake of personalizing it before you've actually uh, internalized it and memorized it because the moral of the story is the questions are all there, written in such a way that they it's a, an organic conversation, even though it's a script that's designed to essentially, you know, Find the listing leads. Make it so that you have the desired outcome of getting a listing lead. And then you can decide through the questions on our scripts how motivated people are. Many of you have no clue how to, you know, you just go off your gut feeling, how to determine whether someone's motivated. We just gave you a little lesson on essentially the differences between buyers and sellers, right? Now, if you come across a buyer that actually has a house to sell, that's a double hitter, right? So absolutely, that's, again, another benefit of doing open houses. Yes, so that's your homework, and we're going to continue with several more things for your survival guide or your survival plan. And remember, 
even if you're not feeling like, oh my gosh, I need a survival plan, all of these things still apply to every single one of you. And if you have a team, if you have staff members, well, here's an idea. When they start with you for the first 30 days, put them on the 30-day survival plan. Get them to do all the work so they can actually learn how to do real real estate. Behind a keyboard, uh, you know, behind, doing anything digitally is not the real work of real estate. If you want to work, if you want to make yourself vulnerable to being disintermediated or being made irrelevant in the future, as all these tech companies you know, essentially try to eat our lunch. The best way to go about making it so that you're irrelevant is never learning how to actually work directly with customers, never learning how to have real conversations, never learning actually how to be a great salesperson. You yourself as the best version of yourself, salesperson as you can be, because you know that tech companies will never do that. So that's how you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to make it so that you are a, even if you cost more to do business with, you are worth the extra expense. All right. So if you guys have any questions, remember, text us directly. 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.